Hi, I'm Teresa Duncan. And I'm Kevin Henry. Welcome to Chew On This. We are excited to bring you our views of current topics in the dental industry and put a little different spin on them, giving you something to chew on. If you need to jump off, be sure to check the show notes for links as well as how to get in touch with us. And now let's give you something to chew on. And we're back with another episode of Chew On This. What's up, K-Dog? Teresa Duncan, all good. You know, I am lucky because when we do this, I get to see your smiling face. But I know oh. that our listeners just get to hear your voice. But as long as I get to see you, it's a grand day. I'm just telling you. He's being very kind. Today is my mainline coffee day, into my straight into my <laughs> veins day. So... <laughs> All right. Well, we have a, a couple stories uh, focused on the labor in this uh, in our wonderful industry, and then I have yeah. a little bit of a, a DSO type thing at the end. K dog, just just get it going. Well, okay. So let's go to both ends of this this spectrum whenever it comes to the hiring crisis, because you and I have talked. I feel like so much about the hiring crisis and how it's looking and how it's affecting praxis. Well, the American Dental Association, their Health Policy Institute, came out with an article. And again, I just want to say, if you're a doctor or if you are a member of the ADA and you're not taking advantage of what the Health Policy Institute is offering as part of your membership, you absolutely need to do that. Some great information, statistics, things in there that can certainly help you know where you stand compared to the rest of the country. But... Teresa, I thought it was interesting because in this article, the headline is dentists say they need more staff and I'm going to say team, but they need more team to see same number of patients compared to pre-pandemic. And one in three owner dentists indicated that to reach pre-pandemic patient levels of what they see, they need more team members in their practice. Now, of course, the trick is they can't find those team members. So, you know, it's kind of this rolling wave with the hiring crisis that we've talked about. You and I have talked a little bit about how it doesn't just affect like the stress levels, but also the business side of the practice. And this was a really interesting example that it is impacting the business out there. For sure, It's an interesting um, take on it, because when you said we need more team members in order to reach the same levels, all I could think about was overhead going up, but revenue possibility stays the same. I mean, is that really a wise decision to hire more to get to your pre-pandemic level when it's going to cost you more and we have a, a shortage? But again, on the flip side, you're overworking the heck out of your current employees. Yeah, you are. That's There's the drawbacks there. I, I don't know. Maybe doctors don't need to be as busy as they used to be if the overhead is lower. I don't know. I'm also going to flip that maybe we need to be doing things differently in the practice. You know, there's it's the whole work smarter, not harder thing. And, you know, all those times we've hesitated about talking about same day dentistry or single visit crowns or whatever it might be. Maybe this is really whenever we need to say, you know, you're already in here. And if we see four patients a day, but can still boost up the revenue with those four patients, maybe that's a, a better way to look at it instead of, just the whole, yeah, we've got to get them through hygiene. Oh, there's no hygienist. Now what do we do in that whole cycle? Another trick is to, not really a trick, but really a good strategy is to pick procedures that are not going to be as either labor intensive or materials intensive. So time and materials is what really takes, determines the cost of a procedure. And then you add in, of course, the, the labor prices. But 
I'll give you an example. I was talking to a doctor on one of our strategy calls, and she was saying that she is doing more occlusal guards, and she's talking to patients more about fluoride and, and little things like that. So it adds up like adult fluoride, whereas she never really did that before she would recommend it, but she wouldn't really like sit there and go, Hey, you know, this is really important. And I think the trick was there's all these things that we see on the treatment plan and we just kind of assume they'll get to it when they want to get to it. And now she's really making the effort to talk more about it. The occlusal guard though, is where that's what made me think of this example. She actually, it's low overhead, I mean, you're taking an impression and then you get it delivered. I mean, it's it's not an expensive appointment for the doctor, but it's a really profitable appointment as far as, you know, cost per hour. She's not diagnosing occlusal guards, of course, on everyone, but for the ones that she sees that could use it, she's having more conversations about it. And she said her acceptance rates of those have gone up. It really just took a little bit of focusing Whereas I know another doctor, you know, implants are also a very highly profitable appointment. And even so, if they may be on the treatment plan and he may just be talking about it, but then now he's actually making a, a focus on talking about it. So if you're down, like you were saying, we don't have enough people in the industry. If you're down, maybe you need to look at your service mix and see, are there ways to maybe give yourself a little bit of a gliding room where you don't need an assistant as badly for certain procedures. And if you've heard this podcast, other podcasts I've been on, I have banged the drum for so long that if you've got the right people in place, having the right people rather than wrong people, but more of them is a much better alternative. And if those right people can have those conversations as you're talking about and really suggest occlusal guards or, you know, same day dentistry, whatever it might be, and can have those conversations, then, then I think it's very wise to invest in communication skills, maybe as much as all the job searches that you're doing right now, just to fill a hole that may not necessarily need to be filled. And if you're a doctor or a treatment coordinator listening to this, and you have been meaning to, to really work on your conversations, it, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, you may have gotten 15, 20 years into this and realize that you're not good at talking about treatment. It's because people were accepting treatment all along. There's no shame in brushing up on your skills. It's always a good idea to do that. Plus we have a whole new set of, I mean, really what we call consumers in dentistry. I know we like to call them patients. We try hard not to call them clients or whatever, but we have a lot of consumers and that's who's coming in our doors and we have to understand consumer mentality. So having that conversation, I think is a good, good way to let them know that, that what you're offering is definitely valuable. I just don't think a lot of patients, I think they hear what we say and then it goes out the window as soon as they're out of yeah. our office. And that, that shouldn't be. And I think that's where we have to make sure that when they're in the practice that we're really uh, focusing on them as much as we can and what could help them as well as help our budget. And, you know, and you, you make a great point. Don't think of them as patients. Think of them as consumers. Think of your practice as a business. You know, whenever you get that mindset, it's a completely different change. And if you get your team members thinking about it that way as well, I think that really could be a genesis for changing the business and maybe even treatment model of your practice. Well, we have that from the HPI, the Health Policy Institute, and I know we're going yes. to link that. So they're talking about how we need more people, but we have a story that I'm bringing to you. From, uh, are you ready? Bangor, Maine. 
Banger, Maine. What's happening in Banga? Is it Banga? Bangor? Banga? I don't know. It was probably Bangor. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll have to ask my friend in Booth Bay Harbor. Uh, you know, we'll get the... <laughs> Bahaba. Bahaba, Maine. See, now we lost the Maine contention. There <sighs> it is. Know. See, there it goes. Like, that's the worst New England accent ever. And I'm married <laughs> to a New Englander. I should know this accent inside out. <laughs> Let's travel to the great state of Maine, settle down in Bangor. And here is a dental clinic, the only greater Bangor... Ooh, I like that. Greater Banger, the Greater Banger area, the only dental clinic in that area that accepts Maine Care, which is the Maine version of Medicare, has laid off nearly half its employees as part of a restructuring effort. That is interesting because here, you know, we're reading about how hard it is to find people, but they laid off 31 employees a couple weeks ago. It's a response, it's an action in response to changing demographics and other changes in Maine and dental care. So they just passed a law this past summer that expands Maine care to low income adults. So that means a whole bunch more people accessing the system. And I think if I'm reading between the lines here, I think that there, it was not making it, it was not working for this clinic. And so they're laying off and rehiring because when you do that, Kevin, that means that you can now pay them less because they did invite them to reapply for their positions. I don't know how you would feel about that if somebody laid you off just to have you reapply for a shorter yeah. or a, a smaller amount. And uh, they still are going to have to see the same patients and they're probably going to walk into the same office. I don't it, it's just a bizarre thing. So, yeah, half the employees being being laid off. What do you think of that? Well, I think that's the rarity out there for sure. And I also think that there's so much, again, we talked about the hiring crisis. And as you said, to have people laid off that other practices would snatch up in a heartbeat, I can't imagine that they're going to reapply for these positions unless they've already been told something that the Maine Dental Association and others aren't aware of. So I'm going to be real curious to see how this gets. Well, the Maine Dental Association is baffled as well. Uh, Their interim executive director, Kathy Ridley, said she doesn't understand why the clinic would lay off these people. And she didn't understand what the restructuring entails. And she just is basically she doesn't have any idea. So apparently they didn't really, you know, reach out to them. But you know what they have up in Maine, Kevin? You want to take a guess? Well, I'm, I can think of lobster rolls and, and, and lighthouses, but what else? <laughs> they have uh, the first <laughs> dental therapist up there. Oh, that's right. So about seven years ago, that uh, was created by the Maine legislature to ease recruiting challenges, according to this article. And one of the comments I found interesting because it, he basically, the person who commented was like, well, yeah, they're going to lay them off because they want to pave the way for dental therapists, which would be cheaper than dentists and could offer a more, I guess, a wide range of preliminary services. Cause obviously they can't, you know, do all the things dentists do, but they could at least uh, get some of the stuff done. Now that makes a lot more sense to me than just hiring, I'm sorry, letting go and then rehiring at a lower rate wage. We're going to have to track and see whether or not the old dental therapists are sneaking in under the wire on this. It baffles me how different states have different rules, and it's always going to be that way. I understand that. But there will come a day, I hope, before I leave this world, that there there are similar states' rules that we can go from Maine to New Hampshire to Massachusetts, and it would be the same. But, you know, alas. You're talking about reciprocity? 
I, I'm talking about for, like for dental assistants to know that they can move states and not have to relearn something that, you know, so many assistants talk to me that they move from one state to another and the CDA they've earned is no longer valid there. And so they lose that. And it's, it's really something that's been very tough for them. And we talk about why assistants sometimes leave the industry. It's because they are, they move with their family to other states and all of a sudden they can do less in that state where they're going. Now, I understand the opposite can be true, but I've heard numerous times about that and how frustrating it is. Well, and x-ray certification, I think, is that per state too? You have to get certified per state. Absolutely. So I was talking to a doctor in New Jersey and they are having a hard time finding assistance because the New Jersey dental board or whomever certifies the uh, radiography licenses, uh, not licenses, I guess, certifications, uh, they're short-staffed and they've actually ceased approving those in the interim. So if you want to hire somebody to be an assistant, you can hire them. But if you want them to take x-rays and they don't, they have not gone through that training prior, they can't take x-rays. And it's not because of any fault of the doctors. There's no classes being offered and there's no applications being processed in the state of New Jersey at the time of this recording. So you can't even bring somebody in to do that. And this particular doctor, you know, had said, what about if we hold trainings in our office? Can't I hold a training? And the fact is, there's just nobody to process the application. I was reading too about a, uh, the Maryland Dental Board. Uh, let me see if I can pull that article up because I know we weren't planning on talking about that. But the Maryland Dental Board is uh, actually short-staffed as well. And so they are under a hiring freeze because of the pandemic. And that's been going on for a long time. But they only have one investigator covering about 125 cases during the last year and a half, it said. They've recently added more investigators and may be able to add another one after that. So hopefully that would be four, but it's not enough to handle the high number of cases. So basically, if somebody is being reported and it needs to be investigated, like this is where patient care is is brought into play. So say somebody's you know, doing some fraudulent stuff, or maybe they're over-treating and their, you know, their clinical skills aren't up to speed. There's complaints filed, but there's nobody to investigate them. So how long will this person be able to operate until the backlog happens? So this is turned into a public health issue as well. It has. And, and again, I think it's one of those things that if you realize that that's what's slowing you down as far as getting a a dental assistant certified, then this is that domino effect that I think you and I have talked about for so long about what is it going to take and are the dental boards being responsive knowing that this is a problem? I'm really curious. I I don't get it though. I mean, x-ray certification in one state, why is it so different in another state? It just, that just doesn't make any sense. They're certified in Maryland. Then if they come to work in Virginia, which is right across the border, what does that mean? We have to get a whole new test done for the Virginia side? It's It just seems crazy to me. It does to me, too. And I think that we've got to, as an industry, pivot. You know, like we were talking about in our first segment, where we were talking about, you know, maybe working smarter, not harder. I think we've got to do that as an entire industry. And we've got to realize that if these problems are causing our practices to lag behind, Maybe we need to change some of the rules or make a few, you know, caveats. And then whenever things get back to normal, you know, maybe that changes. But let's at least adapt to the situation now and help out practices where we well, can. Well, I mean, the other thing I can think of is in a situation like New Jersey now, it's the doctors taking lots of x-rays. And they have to ask themselves, is this a really good use of my time? Which I can tell you it's not. I would imagine they're making the hygienists 
take most of the x-rays if they can. It's it's just a crazy, crazy situation. It is. I oh, goodness. Well, do you want to go into the world of DSO and Medicaid fraud? I will always go into that world with you. Let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out my machete going through the jungle with you. Let's machete. do it. Machete. So our friend, Dr. Davis, Mike Davis, who writes a really good article, is usually published in Dentistry Today. Uh, He forwarded me this article, and uh, I have to say, Mike, I always read everything you write, so thanks for forwarding it. He forwarded this article about how there has been an investigation and a settlement made between the Massachusetts uh, Attorney General and the South Bay Mental Health System, which is also a part of the private equity firm of HIG Capital. Now, why that's important is that HIG also has, they basically are in a lot of areas of healthcare. Why it's important is that not only was the health center found to have fraud going on, this was a $25 million settlement, Kevin. This is not peanuts. The importance of this is that the center was found to have been fraudulent, and I'm assuming the dentists, or not dentists, the providers were also found to be culpable. But now it went all the way up to the private equity firm, and now they are being held accountable. So why is that important? Well, we know that there's been a lot of private equity money coming into dentistry. VC money is what they say, venture capital money. They will uh, invest in these DSOs. And, you know, I think it's Heartland is owned by, partly owned by the, I think it's like the Toronto Teachers Union or something like that. Like they invested their money. There's outside investors. When you look at all of the very large DSOs, there's a lot of private equity money in there. So if they're found to be culpable, Will that make investors go, wait a second, I don't want to invest in this. They have Medicaid and Medicare exposure. I need to be on top of it at all times. What if something happens and there's a fraud settlement? Then the private investor is on the hook. So this is a very, very interesting article. And uh, if this takes off across the country where the holding groups are held accountable, I don't know if you necessarily see money being left on the table as venture capitalists either leave these groups or decide not to invest, or do they bring in higher standards and actually do a lot more training on Medicare and Medicaid uh, and make sure that they're not acting fraudulently? I'm not sure which way that will go. You have a you have any feelings on that story? No, I, I'm really curious to I see. I know too. that there's a lot of bad Medicaid work being done out there in the dental field. But I also know there's mostly good, and it's a service that's needed, especially for these children. But when you have the potential to pretty much print checks by billing for procedures and and the rate of them really taking a look at that is low. I mean, look at the attorney general in Maryland. Like right now, if there was an allegation made against any of these DSOs because of that, they don't have anybody to investigate. So they're going to get away with it for quite a while. Well, and I think the biggest thing is that, you know, like we were talking about with the article of the Bangor, Maine, you know, in Maine care, and that they were one of the few places out there who took Maine care. You know, I think that there are a lot of people who depend on that for their dental services. And if things like that go away or if they're restricted, then obviously that's a whole segment of our population that, you know, we talk about ending up at the emergency room and all the things that happen whenever we don't have adequate dental care. And so I think that that's my biggest concern is always if we're not making sure that people have access, that we're really going to be hurting even more as a society whenever it comes to the importance of moral care. 
The investors have to be really worried about this because they haven't had training. If they don't have somebody who's in charge of compliance, I don't know. I don't know if I'd park my money in an office like that. I agree with you completely. That's something that I think to watch as 2022, you know, gets into full gear here is what does the investment side of dentistry look like uh, these outside, you know, because so long dentistry has been seen as a very good investment for venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. You know, will it still be seen that way? I suspect forward? that in the future, compliance is going to be a bigger role. I mean, honestly, in the last, the last five years, you've heard more about compliance than in most years. Part of it is, yes, the coronavirus with the PPE requirements and how we have to comply with OSHA and all of the infection control rules that are out there. So compliance, I think, is going to be a big, huge thing to watch next year. I think if we are able to get back to full strength with investigators, you're going to see a lot more cases come out. The reason is when you find an office that is not compliant, the fines, it's like easy money for the state. They just fine you and they pay you. So it's pretty easy money if they feel like they are able to get out there and and get these investigations done. Honestly, it's in Maryland's best interest to hire some people just so they can recoup some of this compliance money. And I go back to, you know, I've seen a couple of articles out of Iowa where dental assistants have been caught without their radiology uh, certification taking x-rays. And so if you're in a state where you can't get dental assistance certified and you say, oh, just take it anyway, I would be worried about that as well whenever it comes to being busted uh, and having to pay fines. But you got to look at the other side of it. I mean, I know that there's some doctors out there. I know because this is how doctors think. Any business people would think, not just doctors. Is the fine manageable? Because maybe it's worth it to just pay the fine it's cheaper to just pay the fine. I know with the surprise billing act that's happening in the the hospital Medicare industry, there's a lot of hospital systems that are just paying the fine rather than making their systems completely transparent. It's going to cost them a lot of money to get to that point, And it's just easier for them to pay the fines. And in fact, the health and human services or CMS, I can't remember which one actually had to raise the amount of fines on these hospitals because so many were just taking the, they were just taking the L and paying the bill. And you're right. Uh, the devil you know and the devil you don't, you know. It's, it's a leader. We need sometimes. those x-rays taken. So we need help, yeah, we right? <laughs> Absolutely. We need help on so many levels. You are My goodness. not kidding. So, all right, we blew through those articles. Any last uh, thoughts before we wrap up this session? It's funny how as we get into 2022, People keep thinking, oh, it's a new year and happy, you know, and, and they get all happy and stuff. And, and we're going to be facing the same issues that we had in 2021. So I think it's really important that, you know, as you mentioned, running that practice like a business and being very cognizant of what it takes to run a successful business. That's the best that you can do heading into it right now and then see where all these things uh, move I think you're forward. right. I don't think the shortage is going to change at least not in the first half of 2022. Yeah. So if you're a dentist out there doing uh, cleanings on your own, sharpen those scalers because it's probably going to continue for a little bit. Absolutely. Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in to this very uh, succinct version of (laughs) Chew on This. We just ran right through our stories and uh, we always appreciate that you take the time to listen to us. And that's a wrap for this episode of Chew on This. We hope you laughed and learned a little. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. And don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. 
Feel free to drop us a comment on social media or by email if you have any suggestions for future topics. We'll be back in about two weeks. See you then.